بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So we were in the nullifier of Islam, that is magic. The seventh nullifier, which is mentioned in this book as magic, as sihr. And we spoke about magic briefly last time, and how this is certainly something that is from the nullifiers of Islam. And we said there are two overall categories of magic. One was the category that is the sleight of hand and the quick movements and those illusions that they make upon the eye, that type, the tricks and the deception, isn't necessarily kufr, you don't rule upon that as kufr, but it is haram. And the second type, that is the actual magic, the what people term as the black magic, the actual uh, magicians and using the jinn and whatever else they do to perform what they are going to perform in terms of their uh, activities that they do. Then we were talking about the breakdown of different types of magic. One of those, from the breakdown of magic, uh, the first one mentioned was, the magic of those who worship the stars and the, the moons and the planets, and that type of magic and those types of sorcerers, they existed at the time of, Ibrahim alayhi salam. They existed at the time of Ibrahim alayhi salam. The second type was the magic of illusions upon people. The magic of illusions upon people. Uh, and this type of magic again, it causes a person to maybe hallucinate or to think something is happening and it's not. So that is a type also mentioned. The third type we get to now, the third type that is mentioned, is al-isti'ana bil-arwah al-ardiyya. The magic that is done using the jinn. That is one clear category of magic. When the magicians, the sorcerers, they use jinn in order to be able to do the magic that they are doing. So these types of people, we discussed it briefly last week, how the jinn, they will make the magician do all types of things that are shirk. They will make the magician prostrate to him. They will make the magician uh, disbelieve in Allah, miss his prayers, do other things that are mockery of the religion we spoke about before. Like that magician, they caught naked people on the walls, made him write ayat of the Qur'an within those pictures. Mockery of the religion. So the jinn, they make the people, those magicians, do these types of things, these actions of kufr. And in exchange, they will then help them to be able to do these miracles and these magic things that people cannot normally do. So that is a category of magic, using the jinn in doing that magic. The fourth category of magic is التخيلات والأخذ بالعيون وشعبذة ومبناه على أن البصر قد يخطئ ويشتغل بالشيء المعين 
دون غيره ألا ترى أن المشعبذ الحاضئ يظهر عمل شيء يظهر أذهان الناظرين به ويأخذ عيونهم إليه حتى إذا استفرغهم الشغل بذلك شيء بالتحديق ونحوه عمل شيء آخر عملا بسرعة شديدة This is like now what's known as the sleight of hand when they will, the magicians, perform certain types of tricks and one of their methods is to distract your attention to somewhere and really they are performing the trick and doing something elsewhere out of where your focus is. So they'll do something and they'll put a box down and they'll do some strings or whatever and everybody's looking there and whilst everybody's focusing there, they're pulling something with their other hand where nobody is focusing. So they have this type of sleight of hand where they make quick movements with the hands and they make movements where the focus of the people isn't and then where the focus of the people is things occur due to what they've been doing quickly and deceptively and so this is a type of magic that they perform this sleight of hand and this trickery and this deception the fifth type this type is الأعمال العجيبة التي تظهر من تركيب الآلات المركبة من النصب الهندسية This one the Sheikh mentions is something they used to do and perhaps still do where they make certain items they make certain items and those items perform certain actions apparently without any human input. They make some type of statue and the statue appears to cry. They make something else, like the example given is like a horse and there's another horse on top of it. They used to make these types of statues and the horse is has a uh, trumpet and then suddenly you hear sounds coming and nobody's blowing in it. So they would make these types of objects and those objects would create certain uh, actions from them without any human input as it would appear. So that is something of a type of magic they used to use also. And this you could say to a degree is similar to the type of magic that Pharaoh and his people did because those sticks that they had, they were objects that they had within them, certain chemicals, and then it appeared that the sticks were moving around, and in reality it was the chemical reaction. That is how some of the scholars have explained that. So that is a type of magic also. The sixth type of magic is the magic that is done with potions. The magic they do with potions, liquids. So that magic is also one of the types that is mentioned. They may use certain types of potions and those potions actually do have this effect and this magic that they perform via them. That is a type. Another type, number seven, is what's known as ta'liq al-qalb. And that is where the magician gains the trust of the person by claiming that he has knowledge of affairs that the person would not expect anybody to know of. And they do this type of thing. Magicians sometimes they 
one of their common practices, one of the common practices of magicians is to do the hand reading. So they look at the lines and all that type of thing. That is from the practices of magic. When they look at the lines on your hand and all those things. When they say to you, write down the name of your mother. Write down the name of your mother on a piece of paper and give it to me. That is known as one of the common practices of the magicians. So then they tell you information, I can tell you this and I can tell you that. And the person becomes deceived by this magician knowing these things. And so the person becomes attached to him. Thinking this magician has power and ability. And we covered a narration a long time ago regarding that. When the jinn, they climb on top of each other's backs. In the hadith it mentions. They climb on top of each other's backs until they get to the heavens or near the heavens so they can try and steal some information, eavesdrop, to see what's being said, what are the angels talking about. Maybe they can get some information about something about the decree. So then they climb up and they do that. That's when the shooting stars, they come. And the shooting stars, they may knock them over before they manage to catch anything from the conversations. And sometimes they may be able to catch something and pass it on before they are struck by the shooting star. So if they manage to pass it on, the jinn passes it to the next, passes it to the next, passes it to the next, until it goes to the bottom one. He then goes to the sorcerer, to the magician and tells him that we heard such and such in the heavens being said. That magician then takes that piece of information which is truth now, mixes it with a hundred lies, and then when the person comes to him, his client comes to him, he'll narrate all of those hundred lies to him, and in amongst that, there will be that one piece of information that is true. That person then, when he goes away, he won't remember the hundred lies. The only thing that will stay in his mind is, that one thing the magician said, that's exactly how it happened. One thing will occur, will be right. That person will only focus on that one. He said, look exactly what the magician said. The other 99 that didn't come true, they'll forget about them. But the one that did, now all of a sudden the magician knows. The magician knows. He told us that and that's exactly what happened. And the magicians, they do this as well with lost property. That is another one commonly known. That the people, they go to a sorcerer, they go to a magician and they say, that I've lost something, one of my items, one of my possessions. And the magician will tell him where that item is. He'll tell him that item, you lost it somewhere, it's at the bottom of the river you were walking past two months ago. Dropped out there, go check. They go check, dig it up and it's there. That's where he dropped it. How do the magicians know this? With the jinn. That is with the jinn. The jinn will go and search and check and everything, and they'll find the item. And they'll come and tell the magician, his item is in such and such a place. So then the magician tells them, it's there, it's here, it's over there. And so then when they find it, all of a sudden now, their heart is attached to this magician, believing that he knows, he knows. And then you get others, who take this field of magic, and the field of the jinn, and use it to their own purposes. So, for example, they use the jinn and they claim that the jinn working with me, the jinn that is working with me is 
is what? Is what? Mus is a good jinn. They say the jinn working with me is a good jinn. So sit down and I'll tell you what's happening. And I was narrated. Somebody narrated to me a true story. That one of these individuals, he holds sessions. True story. And in these sessions, the clients come to him. They sit in a circle, himself, the client, and then a bunch of kids. Bunch of children. Sit in a circle. The, the person himself, the client, and a bunch of children. They sit in this circle. Imagine this. So then they close their eyes and they do their mumbling and everything else. And then the kids, they start talking. They say, I can see the jinn coming. And I can see him, he's coming from over there and he's coming from over here. And then they say, he's here now. And he's asking, what do you want to say? And then this magician says, okay, this client of mine is complaining from some illness. They got some problem, what is it? And then the kids say, the jinn is saying that there's something wrong with the, uh, uh, the elbow. It's in the elbow section. And the client says, that's absolutely true. Last week I had an operation in the elbow. And I never told the, uh, the magician. And then the jinn says, yes, there's a problem there. And there's something with the, the lungs here. And they say, absolutely, they told me I got angina or whatever around this area. So now the jinn, he's there doing this investigation and checking the body and knowing these things. And these kids, children, are sat there projecting this speech from the jinn. And they say, no, he's a good jinn. This is our friend, this jinn. He's a good jinn, he comes and helps us. That is something from the sunnah. They sit together with kids on chairs in a circle. The kids then see the jinns coming and all these types of things happening. And the jinn then talks through the kids. And they tell him what's going on with this person. All of this completely haram. But when the people do this type of thing, those clients, masakeen, they begin to say, look, he knew. And that jinn came and helped us. He told the truth, didn't do anything wrong to us. So they begin to say, we have the good jinn with us. And we're going to sit down and we're going to do this seance and the kids are going to see the jinn coming and they're going to talk through the kids. All of the types of things that is absolute nonsense. So one of the type of magic that occurs is this attempt by the magicians to grab the hearts of the people and get them connected to the magician. By making those people, those ignorant ones, believe that the magician has abilities, that the magician has power, that the magician knows things, and the magician can help them. But in reality, none of that is permissible. It is all haram. Then also from the types of magic, which is categorized as a type of magic, is a sa'i bin namima wa tadrib min wujuhin khafifa latifa. وَذَلِكَ شَائِعْ فِي النَّاسِ So one of the types of magic is the spreading of tales, namima, between people, and to cause that corruption in a very deceptive way. And the shaykh says here, that is something widespread between people. Why is that termed as magic? Because the word magic itself means something which occurs in a very deceptive and quiet way and you can't tell. You don't know what's going on and it secretly, quietly happens. That's what the word magic means in Arabic. 
something which happens very slightly and deceptively and secretly, and you don't know what's going on. You don't know how it's happened, what's happened. So when Namima is spread like this, Namima is spread between the people and stories are carried between the people. He said this to me and he said that to me and I heard him say this and I heard him say that. And they spread these stories and then secretly from here and from there, they all spread and causes corruption between the people. That is recognized as a type of uh, magic. It is categorized as a type of magic. So this is also something that they sometimes refer to as a type of magic. Also, from that point onwards, the next section mentioned is, هَلْ إِذَا تَابَ السَّاحِرُ تُقْبَلُ تَوْبَتُ If a magician now makes repentance, he repents from his magic and what he's been doing, then is it accepted from him and he's forgiven and let off? What's the ruling on a magician? So a magician, if he repents, many of the scholars they say, if he genuinely repents, etc., that is between him and Allah. As for us, we can't trust a magician. And we don't have any way of knowing whether he's now telling the truth or he's still upon his magic and being clever with us. There's no way of us knowing what's going on with a magician magician. So if he repents, many of the scholars say, his affair is with Allah. If he was sincere in his repentance, then Allah will forgive him. But as far as we're concerned, in the rules of the world, the rulings of this dunya, then he must be killed. He is killed. If he was sincere in his repentance, Allah will forgive him, he'll be in paradise. If he wasn't, then he'll be punished in the hereafter too. So many of the scholars, they mention that. Al-Imam Malik mentioned that, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa mentioned that, and the popular statement of Al-Imam Ahmad is that, that we can't accept that. If it is true, then okay, with Allah he'll be forgiven, no problem. But we don't know. With a magician, we don't know. Al-Imam Shafi'i did mention in some statements that it, it can be accepted. So that is the minority opinion, but the majority they say, we cannot accept that, we don't know that. If a magician repents and he's true, sincere, then Allah will forgive him, no problem. In the hereafter, he'll be in paradise. But for us, we don't know. As for Muslim, And then there's some other rulings about the magicians and what to do with the magicians. Uh, what about a female magician? Al-Imam Abu Hanifa regarding the female magician said, she's not killed. Female magicians, sorcerers are to be imprisoned. That is the opinion of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. And the other scholars, Al-Imam Shafi'i, Al-Imam Ahmad, Al-Imam Malik, they said the, the ruling is the same as a man. A magician is a magician. If a woman's doing the same magician, the magic as the man, same ruling. So the same ruling upon her as the man that she would be killed, and if she repents sincerely, then her repentance is with Allah, and she'll be forgiven with Allah. 
Now another issue comes up. And of course, with that, with all of these rulings, they are only applicable under the rulership, under the leader. It's not vigilante, you find out somebody is a magician, you go kill them. No, it is not like that. It is with the ruler, where there is government and there is authority and there is leadership and the ruler takes care of those affairs officially and legally. Not that anybody finds somebody and kills them. No, that is the way of the khawarij and that is not the way of Ahl Sunnah. Then, هَلْ يُسْأَلْ أَسَّاحِرْ This is a topic that comes up a lot. Magic has been done to someone. Is it allowed to go to another magician to fix the magic that's been done on somebody from another magician? Can you go to a magician to solve the magic that some other magician has done on you? Can you ask a magician to give you the cure for the magic that's been done on you by some other magician? Ask a magician to fix up this magic. This is a topic that comes up a lot. Some of the scholars, or in another way as well you could say, is it allowed for you to look into the issues of magic, look into magic and how it works a little bit, so that you can try and fix the magic that's been done on one of your family members? Basically, are you allowed to learn a bit of magic and how it works so you get an idea of how to fix this magic? Is that allowed to learn a little bit and look into it and research a bit to be able to then fix up what's happened or to go to a magician for him to give you the solution of how to open up this magic? Is basically, can you use magic to fix magic? That's the question. Can you use magic to fix magic? So in this, in some aspects of it, some of the salaf may have allowed certain points. Some of the salaf may have allowed certain points. But the majority of the scholars on what is correct is that it is of course impermissible to get into that. It is impermissible to get into that and impermissible to use magic to cure magic, that is not correct. Instead, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us protection in the Qur'an, in the sunnah, from magic and from magicians. So for example, the recitation of Ayatul Kursi, you could say, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا خَلَقِ وَمِنْ شَرِّ غَاسِقٍ إِذَا وَقَبْ وَمِنْ شَرِّ النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ What does that line mean? Everybody memorized it for 20 years, 30 years of your life. What does the line mean? وَمِنْ شَرِّ النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ More blowing into the nuts. What? What does the ayah mean? What are you doing with this ayah? You're asking Allah to protect you from the sorceresses that blow into the knots. Meaning you're asking Allah for protection from magic. There is a clear ayah in the Qur'an. You are prescribed to recite after the obligatory prayers at night in different times. They are one of the surahs of the Qur'an that give you a protection from magic or that you are legislated to recite. Asking Allah for protection from magic. Asking Allah for protection from other things. 
قل أعوذ برب الفلق من شر ما خلق ومن شر غاسق إذا وقب. What does that mean? Ask Allah for protection from when the not the envy, the غاسق in one. When the nightfall comes, when the dark comes and takes over the light, nighttime comes. Because when the nighttime comes, the shayateen come out. So that ayah there, you are asking Allah for protection when the night envelops the day. When the darkness comes and takes over, and the shayateen, they come out. You're asking Allah for protection. And then the ayah after that protection from the sorceresses blowing into their nuts. And then the ayah after that from the evil eye. And the evil eye is something real. The evil eye is something real that a person, he may afflict you with the evil eye. So you seek protection in Allah. You ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from these affairs. What is the best way of protection from magic and all magic related affairs? Before you get to the issues of ruqya and everything, yourself as a guard, as a protection, the ones that the jinn will not commonly be able to attack and the magicians and the shayateen will not commonly be able to attack the people who are strong upon tawheed and iman and religion if you're not strong in any of that you barely pray you barely understand anything you barely have any practice of your religion and then you think you're strong and you're protected against the shayateen of the jinn who are gonna come the people of tawheed those who have iman and strength and their trust in Allah, and they are constantly upon the remembrance of Allah, those are the people who are fortified. They are the ones who have strengthened themselves, and they are the ones that the jinn and the shayateen will find more difficulty with. As for somebody barely practicing, barely ever remembers Allah, barely even knows what Ayatul Kursi is, let alone its meanings, barely knows these others, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ doesn't know them, doesn't read them, nothing. Those people are easy targets for the shayateen, easy targets for the jinn and the magicians. So a person wants to protect himself, protection is within the religion. Protection is within knowing and understanding the Qur'an and the sunnah, being upon tawheed and strong in iman. It's mentioned about Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu anhu, what did they say about him? He used to walk down the street, and the shayateen used to run away to a different way. Don't want to cross, a, cross his path. Umar ibn Khattab coming and they run away. From that strength he had in him of iman and tawheed. This is how a person protects himself and guards himself. Then there are many things in the sunnah, like the recitation in your homes of Suratul Baqarah. Reciting Suratul Baqarah in your homes, that is a means of protection. And that means to recite. It doesn't mean just to play it on the CD. Doesn't mean you just play the CD in your home and let it play Surah Al-Baqarah in the background. That isn't the meaning of the narration. For the narration to be applicable, as the scholars have said, like a Shaykh al it means you sit down and do some reading of Surah Al-Baqarah in your house. The tape player, the phone playing it, that has no intention. It has no intention. The phone is playing Surah Al-Baqarah. Does the phone understand it's playing it? Because you want a protection from the jinn and the shayateen? Phone has no idea. There is no intention for the phone. Ibadah can only be done with intention. That's why the scholars say, when it comes to the time of Adhan, 
Why don't we just record the adhan, put it on a CD, put it on a timer, every time the adhan time comes, it just plays at the time, never be late. The muadhin, miskin sometimes gets late, stuck in traffic, is 2-3 minutes late. Put it on the CD, put the timer on with your timetable, every time on time it plays the adhan. What's wrong with that? Everybody in the mosque will just be hearing the adhan of the muadhin recorded. They won't know it's recorded, nothing. Why does that not work and it's not possible and it's not permissible? Because that recorder has no intention. The recorder isn't doing worship. That CD player isn't doing ibadah. It is something that just playing, no intention, no ibadah, no worship to Allah, just a machine playing. Adhan is an act of worship. So reciting Surah Al-Baqarah, it requires recitation. Doesn't require just playing it on a CD in the background. Neither does it require placing the Quran, as we've said before, onto plaques, onto artwork, ayatul kursi on the wall, qul a'udhu bi rabbil falak, and the three quls as they, or the four quls as they always make them on the posters, putting that onto your wall. That isn't the protection and that isn't what's meant. Those are on the wall and maybe they've been there for 20 years and you don't know the meanings of those ayat. And you still don't know that النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ is about the sorceresses and the magic and these things. You don't know that, but the paper, the artwork's been there for 20 years on your wall. The Qur'an isn't for decoration, the Qur'an is for practice and learning. So all of this requires the actual reading. So that is the seventh nullifier of Islam, and that is clear. Magic and the forms of magic are haram in Islam, impermissible to engage in. And there are in fact narrations that a person who goes to a magician and believes him, then your prayer will not be accepted for 40 days. Going to a magician, your prayer not accepted for 40 days. The scholars have said, does the same ruling apply? Are you considered to have gone to a magician if you watch it on TV. You never went to a magician, nothing, on TV. Is it the same or not? Is the hadith applicable to you about your prayers not being accepted, even though you got to carry on praying? The hadith says, مَنْ أَتَى كَاهِنًا Whomsoever comes, goes to a magician. You never went anywhere. In your home, watching it on a screen, the magician is not even there. Just a recording, digital pictures on the screen. Is that the same? And are you in the hadith the same threat? They say if you watch it, you're happy with it. So if you're happy with it, then it's the same ruling. You watching it on TV is exactly the same as you going to the magician in person. It is the same. What the magician does in person, you are watching him do the exact same thing on TV. Listening to it on radio, the magician explaining what he's doing and how he does his magic, exactly the same again. Reading it in a book, a magician writes a book about how he used to do his magic and everything, and, and you're reading this interesting how he used to do all these things. Same ruling. All of those have the ruling of you going to a magician. It is haram to physically go. Haram to watch on TV anything to do with magic and these things. Not that you should be watching TV in the first place. Nothing of much benefit on that whatsoever. Haram to listen to it on the radio. Magic and ma- magic shows and magicians coming on interviews with a magician. Haram. Reading in a book, even if it's just star signs and things, all of this is haram in Islam. 
All of this is built upon the ways of the magicians and the sorcerers and the sorcerers, uh, the sorcerers and their stars and all these star signs and these narrations they come up with. Something's going to happen to you in your life and this is going to happen to you and that's going to happen to you. Knowledge of the unseen is from the shaitan and this is one of the ways of the tawagheet. Tawagheet, the one who claims to have knowledge of the unseen and that's what magicians claim to have too. So all forms of that is impermissible. Even if it comes down to something like these Harry Potter and all of this stuff, haram to watch it. All of it is based upon magic. All of those books and everything these people write these days, magic and magic based. It is haram to watch that and let your kids get involved in that. Haram these things that are linked to magic completely. So a Muslim needs to be aware of those things. Then we move on to number eight. From the nullifiers of Islam, مُظَاهَرَةُ الْمُشْرِكِينَ وَمُعَاوَنَتُهُمْ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ Aiding the mushrikeen and helping them against the Muslims. Aiding and helping the mushrikeen against the Muslims. And that is because in the Qur'an Allah says, وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّهُمْ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنَّهُ مِنْهُمْ Whomsoever from you sides with them, then you are with them, from them. Inna اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِ الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ Indeed Allah will not guide an oppressive wrong people or upon that way. So this is the eighth nullifier of Islam and it is known as the accompaniment and the aid of the kuffar against the Muslims. فَتَحْقِيقُ الْبُعْدِ مِنْ هَذَا النَّاقِضِ أَصْلٌ مِنْ أُصُولِ الْإِسْلَامِ فَمِنْ أُصُولِ الْإِسْلَامِ الْبَرَاءَ مِنَ الْكُفْرِ وَالْكَافِرِينَ وَمِنَ الشِّرْكِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ وَعَلَيْهِ فَإِنَّ مُظَاهَرَةَ الْكُفَّارِ مِمَّا يُخَالِفُ أُصُولَ الْإِسْلَامِ وَلِذَا كَانَتْ نَاقِضًا مِنْ نَوَاقِضِ الْإِسْلَامِ So, in Islam, it is a principle that you practice Tawheed and you be upon Tawheed and that you have a distancing from, separation from, shirk and its people. You cannot say, I am practicing tawheed, but I'm going to help the kuffar and the mushrikeen. Practicing tawheed means that you're going to separate from, aiding the kuffar and the mushrikeen. So the one who sides and aids and holds beloved, the kuffar and the mushrikeen, then that individual is considered to have fallen into a nullifier of Islam. There are many ayat that are quoted here. One of them, Allahu waliyyu alladhina amanu yukhrijuhum min al-dhulumati ila al-nur. Allah is the protector of those who believe. He takes them out of darkness into light. Walladhina kafaru awliyauhum al-taagut. And those who disbelieve, then their awliya, their protectors, are the Taghut. The Taghut, Iblis and his army. يُخْرِجُونَهُمْ مِنَ النُّورِ إِلَى الظُّلُمَاتِ They, Iblis and his army, if they are your compatriots, they are your protectors, they will take you out of light into their darkness. أُولَٰئِكَ أَصْحَابُ النَّارِ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ they are the companions, the dwellers, the dwellers, the inhabitants of the hellfire, and they will remain therein forever. 
in another ayah, إِنَّهُمْ لَنْ يُغْنُوا عَنْكَ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا They will not aid you against Allah anything. They will not be able to give you anything. وَإِنَّ الظَّالِمِينَ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضُ وَاللَّهُ وَلِيُّ الْمُتَّقِينَ That indeed those wrongdoers, they are the companions one to another, protectors one to another. As for the believers, the muttaqin, the people of taqwa, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is their wali. So now upon this, does it mean that any type of helping the kuffar, or having any type of love for the kuffar, is a nullifier of Islam? Not like that. Not like that. So for example, when it comes to loving the kuffar, we know there are certain types of love that are permissible. Like, for example, if a person has parents who are still kuffar, do you love your parents? Of course you're still going to love your parents. They're your parents. Because that is a natural type of love. That is just a natural love in your heart for your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. And they may not be Muslims, but it's a natural feeling. This is your mother, this is your father. Yes, you hate the kufr and the shirk they are upon. But in the end, this person is your mother. The one who gave birth to you, raised you. This is your father, the one who raised you, cared for you. You have the emotion, the natural emotion that connects you regardless. As in terms of the religion, of course you hate the kufr and the shirk they are upon and you do not obey them in anything which opposes Islam. But as a natural emotion of a son to a father, to a mother, that natural emotion is going to be there. You're not held accountable upon that. That natural emotion of love for your parents, that is a natural emotion you're not held accountable upon. So that wouldn't be within this. Aiding the kuffar is every type of that going to be from kufr, it doesn't mean like the way the khawarij and those people will understand this. Somebody's walking in the street, they drop some, they drop their shopping, and so you help them up and you put everything back into their bag for them. Nobody can come and say, but the eighth nullifier of Islam, aiding the kufar. It's not like that. Only the foolish one will understand things like that. Only the khawarij understand things like that. So it is not like that. We are talking about having a love for the kuffar, which you then cooperate and aid the kuffar against the Muslims. It is something severe. As for these types of affairs, that doesn't come into aiding the kuffar. That is something required. It is something good. Because you do that act as a means of da'wah to this person only. You help them pick up all their shopping, put it back and take it to their car. They think, mashallah, these Muslims are good. That's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't come into this whatsoever. So a person needs to understand those affairs in the correct understanding. Then, after that, the explanation of what constitutes or how should your relationship be with the kuffar then? Are you allowed to invite them to your house for dinner? Are you allowed to accompany them? Are you allowed to have some relationship with them? Or of some work relationship or otherwise? 
Like we said, that does not typically come into this field. You could invite a kafir to your home for dinner. And it is upon the basis of da'wah to that individual if you are capable and have ability to do so. If you're not capable and you don't have the knowledge, don't have the ability, you can't. But if somebody has some knowledge, ability, and you have a neighbor who seems to be responsive, you want to be good to them, you invite them to your house, you give them food as a means of da'wah, allowed, permissible. In your work, you have people you have to work with. There are other people there, your colleagues, you've got to work with them. No problem, that isn't aiding them and supporting them. You have to have that level of work relationship with them. You got to do a certain part of the work, they got to do a certain part of the work. You're a truck driver, for example, the kafir is going to help you load up the truck. What are you going to say to him? No, I don't want your help. You're going to do it yourself, it's going to take you the whole day. And then you get fired. So now, that type of thing there isn't cooperation and aiding against Muslims or nothing. That is simple level relationships or, or uh, cooperation at that level of employment and work and stacking the truck. That doesn't come into these affairs. But these affairs are talking about where you are siding with the kuffar to attack al-Islam and to attack the Muslims. And you are not declaring your innocence of their kuffar and their shirk and of them. Because Ibrahim alayhi salam, what did he say? What was he? لَمْ يَكُوا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ Allah says it in the Qur'an of Ibrahim alayhi salam, that he was not from the mushrikeen, declared his innocence of them, declared his innocence of what they worshipped. In the Qur'an it mentions in various ayat, I am innocent of what you are upon, I am innocent of your worship. Declaring your innocence of the shirk and the kufr that they may be upon. So that is mentioned as the eighth nullifier of Islam. And that is the aiding and the supporting of the kuffar against the Muslims, loving them. A love which is beyond what is acceptable, like the natural love for parents, etc., Otherwise, there is no such thing as, this kafir is my friend from high school, we just relax together. That type of thing isn't acceptable. Relax together just because he's your friend from high school? Not acceptable. If you are going to relax with him, it should be upon the basis that I've known him since high school, and we talk and we have a good relationship, so I'll use that to try and give him da'wah. That is your objective then. If your objective isn't that, it's just because I've known the guy for a long time, we get on together well, we relax together, just for that, just friends, then that isn't acceptable. That isn't acceptable to be friends with a kuffar just because you want to be friends. But it should be with an intention of da'wah then. If you've known somebody for a long time, a neighbor for a long time, a work colleague for a long time, somebody from school, then if you have some connection with them, then it should be some level of... Da'wah that you are giving. If you're unable, then you shouldn't just be holding them as regular friends. Because then, in the end, if you have no ability to give da'wah, taking friends like that will impact upon you. You have no ability to rebut that. You have no ability to give da'wah. Then being around them, if you can't do anything to give them, you don't have any ability, then it's going to be their influences that come upon you. So that needs to be looked at carefully also. Then, the ninth, which we'll just briefly mention, and we'll do it in more detail next time, 
the ninth nullifier of Islam, من اعتقد أن بعض الناس يسعه الخروج عن شريعة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم. If anybody believes that they have a right to leave some of the Quran and Sunnah, not do it. Somebody says, I have a right not to have to do this obligation. It's not upon me. I am exempt from these obligations of the Quran and Sunnah. If anybody believes that they have some type of right or some type of uh, acceptability for them to not practice certain parts of the religion, they think they are exempt from it, that is a type of kufr, it is a type of the nullifiers of Islam. You could mention examples of certain people, some of the big Sufi imams, some of the big alims of the Sufis, the so-called alims, and they say they get to such a level in their ibadah and their worship as they claim that they no longer have to pray anymore. They say it's not required of us anymore. It is not required of us anymore to have to pray. We have reached the high levels. It does not require for us to pray anymore. And one of the famous ones you'll have heard of, he came along and he said, the angels came and told me that we're not writing your deeds anymore. You're a free man. They came to him, as he claims, the angels came and said to him, you are now from your great level, you're a free man. We're no longer writing for you. You can do what you want. You can swear anything free. Freedom. Nothing going to be written against you anymore now. Free man. This is what they believe. So a person now who believes that he has some ability to exit himself from the boundaries of the Quran and Sunnah, then that can end up as being one of the nullifiers of Islam. But that one, number nine, will begin with from next week, inshaAllah ta'ala, the one who believes that he can excuse himself out of the boundaries of what the Quran and Sunnah has set. Any questions on that so far?